Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowder from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A reading from Isaiah. Surely he has borne our infirmaries and carried our diseases, Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people." They made his grave with the wicked, and his tomb with the rich. Though he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. A Gospel reading from the 10th chapter of Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to him, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. For whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Grace and peace to you, my friends in faith. Uh, So Friday morning, I mean, it was Thursday night, kind of overnight. So honestly, I had to get up in the middle of the night uh, to get all the way to Moorhead for my first leaders meeting at 7 a.m. for drill. And so thanks to some coffee, thanks to a lot of coffee, I was able to spend that time thinking about delivering my word of the day. What was I going to say as I was sharing uh, with some of these soldiers as they're preparing for the weekend ahead? And I've been warned by, uh, by some of the leadership, like, be brief. Don't talk a lot. So I had a long drive to think about talking for a short amount of time. So I had, you know, a a three and a half hour drive on I-94, and my mind kept coming back to the gospel for today, the one that we just heard uh, that Elizabeth read. 
And there was this one word from today's reading that just kind of kept jumping out. And it was this, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And there it was, serve. I, I, I couldn't help but thinking, you know, why was everybody gathering that day? Why were people driving kind of from all over the state to be able to gather in one way or another uh, and to have this mission as we gathered? And so I thought about service, and as we were all there for our opening formation, I asked everyone who was there to start thinking about how each of the things that they were doing uh, collaboratively was in uh, service towards others and being able to work together. Each of their duties depended on someone else and the teamwork of uh, being able to work together to accomplish their goals for the weekend. And so together, we weren't there to be served, but we were actually there to serve. And so I think how Jesus is sharing that message with us, and he's sharing that message with his disciples, that he's not there to be served, but to serve. And what kind of a, a flip that is for them to think about. I mean, you see how it, it catches James and John off guard. They don't expect that when they're asking to be on Jesus' right and Jesus' left, they think they're going to be in this position of power. They think this is going to be a good, like, hey, we want to be able to, to be recognized as these great leaders. And they, they quickly are flipped to see that standing next to Jesus is about giving up that power. Uh, New Testament scholar John, uh, Don Jewell talks about it. He says, Jesus' first comments about discipleship suggest that followers must be prepared to take up their cross and follow even all the way to death. But that doesn't seem to be the issue right here. In fact, the question isn't willingness to die, but rather a willingness to lead without flaunting authority. That whole passage has to do with status and leadership, which would have hardly been interest or concern to a community of desperate, persecuted believers. In fact, such, of these, such comments would be of interest to a community that has tasted power and likes it. A community that is already experiencing the pressures of institutionalization. So think about that and how something like that might actually apply to a church like us, right? How do we take that in? So let's just acknowledge for a second. It'd be easy for me to just stand up here on my soapbox and just be like, hey, everybody, let's do something. Let's give up our power. And you'd be like, oh, (laughs) I don't want to do that. All right, well, I mean, we could say, yeah, we're going to do this. We're, we're going we're gonna to give up our power and we're going to pat ourselves on the back and say that we're doing that. But I think about what this text is truly confronting us with is it's the time to give up the power. It's time to give up our influence. It's time to give what we have and give that back. And maybe it would need us to reframe kind of what we're expecting to do. One of the confirmation groups this past week talked about this in very real terms in ways that they hadn't really thought about. Giving up power is a lot harder than we think. So last week during the message, I was telling you about how as a congregation, we'd done an activity where we were, we were seeing what we wanted to focus on into the next year. And so what what buckets, what areas of ministry are most important to us as a congregation. We did this with some adults, and then we did it with the confirmation group. Now, the confirmation group, this is their results. You don't, don't worry if you don't see it. It's, it's the idea of like each of these areas of ministry had a lot of focus. Now, the number one thing, zoom in, was refugees. 
right? The confirmation kids just really had a passion for, hey, what can the church do right now to be able to help with refugees? And so I thought that was an interesting outcome. I thought that the fact that this was number one uh, by by actually quite a few percentage points, uh, was, was something that I wanted to dig into a little bit deeper. So I, I followed up with one of the groups that I know was interested in refugees. And so here's Daniel Deemer's group. I got, I, 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 after we finished with our large group, I went to their small group, and I said, guys, why did you care about refugees so much? And you know, it's a bunch of eighth grade boys who, like, the pastor shows up, and it's like, you know, we're going to give you kind of short answers. And I'm like, all right. So they... They, they were kind of a little shy at first, and they shared a little bit. Uh, but apparently after I left, Daniel actually messaged me that night, and he's like, wow, after you left, they just really opened up. I'm like, good. <laughs> because they had some pretty powerful things to say. Because what Daniel did was able to flip their understanding of serving and being served. And so Daniel told me this. He said, I started by asking what we could provide to refugees who are coming here. And I got some uninspired answers like campers, food, money. Now, you're like, that's not uninspirational, is it? Well, actually, it is and it isn't. Because when I hear each of those things, I feel like it's more transactional. Like, okay, someone over there needs something. I'll go help them by just giving something to them. And what he was able to start talking about with, with his boys was how can we talk about uh, engaging with our neighbor? How can we actually live this out? And I want you, and he said this, I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of a refugee. So what Daniel did was he took off their Nikes and threw, threw, um, threw instead their flip-flops that had been held together with some duct tape and created a scenario for him. So here's what he did. All right, Daniel gets his boys together. He says, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that the Canadians have invaded Minnesota. Look how scary they are, right? I'm like, wow, Daniel, that's pretty, pretty threatening. Uh, he said, what if the only country that was safe for you from those invading Canadians was to actually be sent to Afghanistan? And then he said, what would you want when you got there? And how would you want to be treated? Essentially, how would you want to be served. Suddenly the boys were able to think about what it would look like and what it would feel like in that scenario of what would really matter to them. Yeah, campers, money, food, that's great, but they took it a little bit deeper and thought, wow, if I was in another country where nobody spoke my language, what would I want? And here's the list that they came up with. They started brainstorming, and it all just kind of started flowing. They wanted translators or someone who could teach them the language. They wanted someone who could help them find the foods that they like so that they can actually eat something that they like. They wanted someone who could help them to show them around the town, figure out where the grocery store is, where the library is, where the parks are, where the schools are. I remember when I lived in Uzbekistan, the very first thing that I needed to know was how to stop the taxi. Shuyerda tok ting, all right? Like, I need to know how to stop so when I get to where I'm going, I'm there. He said, I need someone who could just tell me, you know, hey, I just want to be able to play with you, get to know you, uh, hang out with you. Someone who could be there and give them somewhere to live. He said that they would really like to have a community garden where they could grow some of the produce that they're used to so they could have their own sustainable garden so they had things that they would uh, be familiar with. 
They wanted a community with people like me so that they don't feel lonely. And oftentimes the, the model of refugees in, in this country has been take a family and just plant them in an area wherever a church is. That model has been flipping over the last couple of decades. In fact, a lot of these refugee families are all kind of in one community together. And that's what we're looking at now is saying, hey, a lot of these Afghan families are going to want to be able to be near each other. And he said, look, we want someone who's going to be able to invite me to their house and be a friend. Pretty impressive list if you think about these eighth graders putting themselves in that circumstance and saying this is what it would feel like for me as a refugee to say this is what would be welcoming. This is what I would want to be able to do. Daniel went through that list and then at the very end he said jackpot because all of a sudden he realized that the kids got it. He's like man these eighth graders get it and they're able to articulate this so well. He said, look, if we could do this type of a relationship with the Afghan refugees who've now come to our country, wow, wouldn't this be something that we as citizens of this country would be able to really engage in and participate in and actually have some relationship with refugees? And that's what we're, that's what we're exploring right now with Lutheran Social Service of Minnesota, an opportunity for us as a church to be able to walk alongside a refugee family or multiple refugee families in the years to come. And that could include an Afghan family, someone who's potentially served alongside our military personnel in Afghanistan, someone who's been able to, to come over to this country. How now can we help them adapt and feel safe in our home? And so to do all of these things on this list, one of the things we can do is become a circle of welcome congregation. And Kate Dewan from LSS uh, came to our council meeting this past Tuesday, and she shared with us what that would look like. Kate has talked to us before. She's been a big uh, instrumental person in our relationship with uh, refugee ministry. She talked about how important it would be for us to be part of a circle of welcome. So a circle of welcome, essentially, it, it begins with a six-month commitment. And that means that for six months, we would walk alongside a refugee family. You, we'd welcome them. And then you see you've got volunteers who are, who are showing up at an airport, showing up to be able to pick up a family. And then you've got a family as they get uh, transitioned into home, uh, housing. That LSS is doing a lot of that behind-the-scenes work. I mentioned at the beginning that you know a lot of that model used to be that the family would show up and then the church would say, here, we got to do all this and we essentially have to work as a social worker. LSS takes on, takes on a lot of that work now. And so what, what a church like us would really be looking at doing is the volunteer commitment and also a financial commitment. And the really good news is we have the financial commitment already locked up for one family. We have a generous uh, gift that, that we can use to be able to apply to this that would, would pay for one family. And if Faith would like to welcome more families in the year to come... Certainly in year 2022, our budget could reflect that. If that's what we want to be able to do, we could say, yeah, we had an outpouring of volunteers who wanted to do this, and this is how we can make this happen. And that's where the volunteer piece is so big, because that's really what we would be looking at doing. They're looking for teams of five to ten people. So for each family, five to ten people of people who would then get trained by Lutheran Social Services, that they would have these tasks that would be done very similar to the list that Daniel's group came up with. Like, it's relational. It's being able to help someone just get used to being here and, and getting them comfortable. And so it's a six-month commitment, but it can certainly be longer. If friendships could forge, and there would be ways for us to be able to remain in contact. In order for us to do this, those volunteers would really be uh, essential because we need them to, to be able to come together. But because it's a team of five to ten, 
It's not all one person doing all the work. It's this big team being able to walk alongside a family and being able to take on jobs and being able to take on these tasks. Multiple confirmation groups have already jumped up and said, we want to do this. Not even Daniel's group. We've had other groups in addition to Daniel's group who've all said, look, we really want to be part of this. And so as, it, as this seed gets planted in your mind, thinking about how we could do this, realize that if you do want to be part of it, not only would you be walking alongside a family, and a refugee family, you'd also be walking alongside some of our younger members at Faith Lutheran. And what a great intergenerational ministry opportunity that is for us. So, What's next? How's this going to work? So here's what Kate said are our next steps. This is, I think, probably the most important part is discernment. That's why after she was done, I think everybody on the council meeting wanted to be like, yes, we want to do this. But we all said, wait, (laughs) we got to discern. We need to pray about it. We need to think about how God is calling us into this. We also need to see who, who is, uh, who's, heartstrings are being tugged at to say, look, I want to, be, I want to join this. I want to make a commitment. I want to be on the volunteer team. If you want to be on the volunteer team, great. If you are like, I don't know, but I'd like to dip my toe in it and just learn a little bit more, just email together at faithfl.org. That's all you got to do. Just email together at faithfl.org. And I will send you the link to the 23 minutes of Kate's presentation during the council meeting. You can watch that. And then you can say, here, I've got 10 more questions. And I'll be like, great. I'll tell Kate these are your questions. We'll get you some answers. By emailing together at faithfl.org, you are not in blood like signing your life to this commitment. We just are like, we just want to know who's interested. And so if this is something that might be tugging at you and saying this is something you could do, reach out. And then we'll have training. We'll have opportunities for fundraising for future commitments. Uh, And then we wait. And here's the truth. We know that these families are already here. We know that some of these families are already at Fort McCoy, that this is, uh, this is, the time is now. Like we know the families are going to be in need. And so it's really exciting for me to think about how the DNA of our congregation has already been uh, in motion. Like, we've a, we're a congregation that supported the Calls family. We're a congregation that supported the Vangs back in the 80s. Like, we have refugee support in our DNA. This is who we are. We welcome the refugee at Faith Lutheran Church. I can't wait to see if that tradition will continue. Because the word of the day, folks, is serve. We exist as a church not to be served, but to serve. These families are here. And if they're not here, they're getting here soon. And they're going to need our help. They're going to need to see our friendly faces of welcome. They're going to need to see someone who's willing to step up and to serve. Will it be yours? Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.